Hey, Alex. Yes, Sarah? Have you heard that saying that comparison is the thief of joy? Hmm, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. It really is. Uh-oh. What? I think this whole episode is going to be us comparing things. Fun! <laughs> Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah. I'm a queer, non-monogamous therapist. And I'm Alex, her husband, the father of her children, <laughs> and a communications professional. And I'm Jessica, here, uh, resident monogamist, producing the podcast, and mostly off mic today until we get to our lightning round at the end. Mm. Uh, I always love this little note that lingers here on the script. And I'm Alex. I'm a man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) And today we have two guests. Welcome, Tyson and Rozzy, to the show. We're so happy to have you here today. Good to be here. Yep, good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we start by, I'm realizing I didn't download an official bio for the two of you, so... I'm going to just ask you to introduce yourselves a little bit, and why don't we start with you, Tyson? Oh, okay. I saw the two of you <laughs> jockeying there, and you know what? Rozzy elbowed you first, so oh, okay. Tyson, uh, you're going first. All right. So I am Tyson. I am a uh, ex-Christian church dropout, polyamorous um, event host, um, fairly involved in the community here in Seattle. So yeah, that's kind of my quick little bit about myself i really like that does that fit on a business card you have that on linkedin sure, sure. <laughs> well it's on linkedin and a few dating apps as well so okay <laughs> nice <laughs> welcome tyson thank you, thank you. and rosie my name is rosie i'm a, a queer polyamorous organizer in the community welcome thanks for being here thank you. and today we're talking about something so alex and i have been threatening to do this episode yeah. I feel like for well trying I trying, trying. trying. Yeah. for like a year and a half um, doing kind of a deep dive on the experience of being solo poly and talking about what it means what it's like for folks some of the things that come up when solo poly people are dating people who are not solo poly um, yeah. and we met Tyson I think under the auspices of seeing if we could have you on as a guest about something completely different mm-hmm. And then we like hit on this topic idea because I think we've been trying to do this kind of episode, but only people that we had to do it were people that we were dating. Mm. And it seemed like maybe that wasn't the best idea. So that's a different vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We need a different vibe. Yeah, uh, more like like a live couples therapy kind of. Mm. Vibe, which we, I guess we do sometimes. Um, so anyway, uh, we're super excited to be able to talk about this. And when it came up in our in our coffee that we had a couple weeks ago, um, it just seemed like there was a lot to talk about. There's a lot of um, material to talk about, especially between like uh, coupled non-monogamous people like Sarah and I and solo poly um, non-monogamous folks like Rozzy and Tyson. So this is this is it. The the SmackDown. <laughs> yeah, that's the phrase, the SmackDown. The SmackDown, okay. So our audience spans folks who have been practicing polyamory for a long time, people who are new to it, people who are curious. Uh, and so we always like to start with terms and defining the terms a little bit. Would you all help us out and talk to us a little bit about what does solo poly mean? Yeah, I mean, I can t- I can speak to what it means for me. I can't speak to what it means for everyone. Um for me, it's a cliche, but it, it means I'm my own primary. 
Um, so I um, don't really answer to anyone else. I get to make my own decisions uh, about dating and other parts of my life. Um, so a, a lot of people will kind of get into the nitty gritty of like, oh, can you be poly if you live with your partner or solo poly rather? Or can you be solo poly if you're married? And I'm not really here to weigh in on that because that's pretty controversial. But I can speak to what it's looked like for me as my relationships have evolved over the years. Interesting. Yeah, I, I really like that definition of solo poly as being your own primary partner. And I was not familiar with that controversy. <laughs> and of course, now I'm like, oh, that's all I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll put a bit in that for now. What about for you, Tyson? Um, I think much of the same. I think it's, it's about um, really establishing my own, for, for me personally, it's about establishing my own sense of independence, my own sense of autonomy, my own sense of self-love and self-trust. Um, by being in relationship just with myself while also exploring relationship with others. But like I was married for 10 years. So it's kind of for me, it's a, it's an, it's a journey of building that independence again. You know, I, I feel like it's important to ask in part because I remember wondering this early on myself, like what's the difference between being solo poly and like being single and dating around I, I think there's a lot of important differences. Um, so me being solo poly, when I'm dating, I'm still looking for lasting connections and building community. And I feel like if you're monogamous and dating around, you're just looking for like that one person to mm. hop on the relationship escalator with. Um, I also wanted to add in like you can still be in long-term relationships and, st- and be solo poly mm-hmm. um, with multiple people. Right. Versus if you're just dating around in the monogamous sense, like you're hoping to just eventually. I mean, either you're not dating seriously if you're I'm not sure how to define dating around if you're dating seriously or if you're just like hoping to find that one person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's like a question of like intention. I think that's where maybe like sort of people in the general kind of casual, not thoughtful monogamy framework might just be thinking about like. If you're just, you're just like, okay, I'm just like dating around. I'm not really like looking for anything right now. The assumption is, well, you're always kind of looking for something, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You're going to accidentally meet the right person and then hop on that escalator. And if you're solo poly, you're like, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm intentionally trying to like do the things that the two of you just described. Like you talked about Tyson. I can't remember exactly the words that you used, but like, like talking about self-love and like investing in yourself intentionally thinking yeah. about being with yourself and your t- Razi you were talking about like uh, building long-term mm-hmm. relationships with multiple people mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's really interesting yeah did you want to say anything? no I, I think you're right on the money there I think it's about intention it's about what you're looking for whereas I think I view Solopolium as like the intentional effort to build a web or constellation of connections that are free to be whatever they are without the com- without the limitations of you know of having a nesting partner you know I have the complete freedom to invest however I would like to whatever feels right for that relationship and so I think it's different from dating around because like like you said Roz dating around is about trying to find one person still you're just dating a lot of people at that same time so I, at least that's how I would understand it I get it because I always have to in every podcast I have to bring up attachment. <laughs> 
too. Mm. Already? Already, I know. That might be a record. I haven't brought up capitalism yet, but Uh it's coming. Um, Because I feel like... Now I'm thinking about how you would... I'm going to do it. I'm going to segue. Um, I feel like attachment is a piece of this as well. And remember, Tyson, you and I were talking about this in our conversation when we met, that a common misconception folks might have about solo poly people is that they're pursuing relationships that aren't attached or aren't seriously attached. And that I think is what you're speaking to. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely looking for attached relationships. And I think that's something that people, there's an assumption that I think, especially also being a man, like there's an assumption that like, Oh, I just want simple, casual, not attached. And it's like, no, no, that's not me. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, a second ago, you said um, something. You said the words like talking about a nesting partner, which is to like unpack the term. That means like basically somebody that you live with, right? Yep. Um, and then you said the word, and then you talked about like freedom in relation to that, um, or like the sort of implying that like having a nesting partner would like impinge on your freedom. I don't know if that's the right mm. use of the word impinge, but whatever. Um, so how talk about like how that relates to attachment how like, that relates to attachment yeah like how do all those things work together like maybe having a nesting partner means a little bit less freedom but you can still have non-nesting partners uh, that are attached yeah. like how does that kind of play out for you or how do you think about that oh man that's a good question I think for, for me as someone who is anxiously attached the benefit I get from a nesting partner is having that consistency, mm-hmm. the daily consistency. And even, like, for me, I'm learning that facial, like, being able to see someone and have a conversation with them face-to-face is such an important piece for me to feel comfortable and safe. And so, like, the benefit of nesting, having a nesting partner is, like, you have that daily contact, right? You have that daily, hey, things are okay, I can see your face, like, we're good. Um, the challenge on this, the other side of, of not having nesting partners is that, like, so much of communication is through texting or through phone calls and not necessarily through, like... I'm not seeing the person on a regular basis, so it kind of can be more anxiety-inducing. But on the other frame of mind of that, of, like, there's also the challenge of not being able to have that freedom and, like, feeling like... I think I... I because I'm anxious, I'm worried about upsetting people, and I think I'm a bit worried... I'm typically worried about infringing on someone, and so, like, if I have a nesting partner, it's like, I may not be as honest or open, like, hey, I want to have someone over, like... So I think it would be harder for me to navigate, like, the having someone else living there but if it's just me it's just mm-hmm. me and I throw out it's just me and it's about what I want that's not necessarily making sure a nesting partner is comfortable if that makes sense does that answer your question yeah I think okay. it starts to yeah okay yeah um, I mean I hear just some self-awareness around yeah. like the vigilance that can come with preoccupied and anxious attachment and if you're living with someone as someone who also identifies that way <laughs> if you live with someone and you're in that kind of hyper vigilant state or you're really trying to figure out how to dismantle that you can just be like constantly vigilant about the other person being okay and it's mm. exhausting and it becomes yeah. hard to create the space to actually check in with yourself and understand how you feel mm-hmm. uh, and what you want and as you're also exploring non-monogamy that can feel really difficult and claustrophobic and yep. overwhelming yeah that's actually super insightful um, I've found um, I can my attachment style varies depending on the partner mm. um, so I've found myself securely attached anxiously attached uh, avoidantly attached it just really depends on the dynamic with the other person and um, 
when, now that you say that, I'm thinking about the time, a time when I did live with a partner and I was more anxiously attached and it was, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we sort of separated a bit more, we were able, I was able to have that space to form a secure attachment. Yeah, that is so interesting. I love hearing stories of people moving through like a- attachment patterns that feel unhealthy or hard and mm-hmm. finding ways to like reach an equilibrium yeah. together. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And a good example of what non-monogamy can provide yep. um, specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe that's a good moment to dive in and ask you all about your journeys here. How did you come to find yourselves identifying as solo poly, take us back as far as you want to go and bring us to today. Yeah, I, I can go pretty far back. Um, I started um, dating polyamorously in early 2017, um, and I was single at the time, um, and I was on OkCupid, which I had already been on and off of since I was like 19. Um, <laughs> and I met my uh, long-term partner about a year later, um, and he was also solo poly at the time. Um, and about six months after that, he met his other partner. And um, spoiler alert, we now have a baby together and I helped them raise their child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have this really close connection, even if our, even as our like relationships have sort of changed over time. Um, but um, in between that, there's been just a lot of stuff happening. Um, I've dated a lot. I've dated a lot of married people. I've dated a lot of single people. Um, I, um, actually in 2019, um, my mom died, um, and I met someone who I sort of impulsively moved in with, um, and they were a part of our community for a little while until that, that sort of fell apart. Um, but, um, in 2020, I was living with them still, even though we had broken up Mm -hmm. and the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And so my long-term partner, who I met in 2018, his partner um, ended up moving in with us because we were all spread out around across I-5 and we were worried that like we wouldn't be able to travel Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And um, my partner's partner had a three or four year old at the time Mm -hmm. and we didn't want to leave them high and dry and without support. And so we all ended up moving in together, Wow! <laughs> which in a little two bedroom house, <laughs> um, which was very chaotic and, and it was very difficult. Uh, and, it, um, it sort of solidified for me why I like my, my space and being alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, in 2021, I, uh, in January, I got my own place because the owners were selling that house and, um, my long-term partner and his partner had moved out and gotten their own place, uh, which was its own sort of can of worms. Um, but I got my own apartment. I got a pandemic deal on it, and um, I haven't really looked back since. You know, um, I, I really love living by myself. Um, I actually broke up with my long-term partner this past fall, um, but we had our baby. Um, my metamor, his other partner, is the one who carried and had our, our baby, and uh, we're all co-parenting together full time. Um, so yeah, I've I've seen a lot. <laughs> wow. wow, that yeah. is quite a journey. <laughs> I okay. First of all, I just wanted to say, like, we could do an entire podcast just about people's pandemic relationship yeah. oh, stories. Yeah. It's there are so many. Mm. 
uh, wild and interesting ones. And but I would say the overwhelming theme for a lot of people is that they found themselves. You know, mm-hmm. that it was messy and it was difficult and that was also an opportunity to find themselves mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. So I have a bunch of things that I want to, like, ask Rosie about based on that story. But I want to actually pop over to the two of you and see where you would like to go next. I think follow-up questions are, are appropriate. Okay. Yeah, ask cool. them. I want, uh, yeah, you should ask your questions. Go ahead. I have a a clarifying question about, like, so right now you are co-parenting with your partner Mm -hmm. and... My ex-partner. Your your ex-partner. My ex-partner and his partner. Got it. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. So you're not, like, partnered with either of those people and you're kind of dating solo poly Mm -hmm. and taking care of parenting this... Mm-hmm. kid with them. Yeah, yeah, cool. I think the thing that I'm really interested to ask more about is you kind of glossed over, you're like, it was chaotic when we all moved in together and through that chaos, it solidified for me that I am so low poly. <laughs> and I'm like, tell me more. My little therapist brain was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and? Um, I had never lived with a partner before that and I, I had already sort of assumed I was solo poly um, just from starting from the perspective of dating polyamorously while I was single and then sort of going through that transition. So I haven't been doing that for three years by the time I, two years, by the time I moved in with um, the person I moved in with. And um, we all ended up just being so close together in this house. (laughs) And um, I don't know, I grew up in a very quiet environment in the country with a very quiet family. Uh, I have one sibling who's eight years older than me. Um, And so I was very overwhelmed. Um, And I was also like working through a lot of personal stuff. Um, So like around that time I was also, my therapist was like, I think you have ADHD because like you're showing up, you're showing me all the signs, like the textbook signs of a woman with ADHD, which mm-hmm. I'd always had male therapists before and they had not caught mm-hmm. that. Um, but it was stuff like the insecurities and like troubles with emotional regulation. Um, and all of this was coming to a head with a group of people who had their own stuff going on. Um, and we were, you know, we were all sort of in crisis at the time. Um, and it, it is a long, it is a long and complicated story, and I don't want to air everyone's dirty laundry. <laughs> it's always hard but, sometimes when we're talking about polyamorous relationships. You're like, how am I only just airing my dirty laundry? Yeah. Like, where are the boundaries around my dirty laundry and in other people's dirty yeah. laundry begin? <laughs> I will say that um, the person who I moved in with originally, um, it ended up being a really bad dynamic, and um, they're no longer in any of our lives. Um, I see. And basically in like the middle of 2021, after I moved out and um, I sort of separated myself from everyone else. I love you guys. I need my own space because this is just like my self-esteem has just taken such a massive hit from all this. Um, And they sort of disappeared uh, in the summer of 2021. And I think... I had been telling everyone else that this person was terrible Mm. um, and like sharing my experiences, but they didn't quite believe me until it happened to them too. Um, 
And so like once I was able to sort of separate myself from that dynamic and sort of take care of myself and then tend to my individual relationships with my partner and his partner, um, it just got so much better. Mm. Uh, And it was really one of those things where I was like, okay, you just, I was just telling myself, like, I just need to be secure in myself and be good being alone and like be good with what my relationship is with my long-term partner Mm -hmm. um, and just really focusing on myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's how I was able to sort of find stability again. (laughs) I I love that story. And I think in it, there's um, a challenge to another false assumption that people have about solo poly folks that they don't want intimacy. Oh yeah. And in all over that story, I actually hear, you being really interested in and curious about intimacy Mm -hmm. and trying to find dynamics that work for you and the other people that you're intimate with. Yeah. I ended up finding something with my partner that worked really well. And then my metamor, his, his other partner and I, um, are now like amazing friends Mm -hmm. and are raising this child together. Um, but it really did take just me being on my own to figure that out. And yeah, we found something that worked for a few years, and we broke up in the fall, but I think it's all for the best, and now we have this great co-parenting relationship. Mm. I'm still very close with my metamor, so. Yeah. yeah, and it's also just one of those stories of polyamory being able to embrace change, <laughs> that mm-hmm. there is a kind of acceptance of being able to stay in relationship as relationships change, which I think is one of the things about polyamory mm-hmm. that I most appreciate. Yeah, and also like being an example of a person who's solo poly and having a family mm-hmm. is mm. like really cool and kind of inspiring too. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what about you, Tyson? Can you tell us about your journey? Yeah. So, you know, if you think about the the person that is, like, best set up for solo polyamory, I'm the exact opposite of that. <laughs> um, I to, to go back a little bit, I, I was raised um, in a fundamental Christian religion, very, very radical. I was homeschooled growing up. So I never really, everything that I was meant to believe or taught to believe or taught to be was told to me. There was no encouragement for self-expression. There was no encouragement for self-discovery. It was all, everything was just given to me. And I developed like really a false view of who I was. And I became something that I would never, would never want to be now. And then I got married at 20. I went from my parents' house to getting married. Uh, I was still very religious at at the time. Um, And I kind of struggled with very porous boundaries in terms of like taking on, I kind of explained sometimes that I feel like I a sponge that kind of soaks in the beliefs and opinions of people around me because that's kind of how I was raised. I was raised to, to not trust myself and to really just absorb what other people are telling me. So I, throughout my Christian upbringing, throughout my young adult life, like I was very much everyone else and never truly myself. Um, and towards the end of the past 10 years, I started to develop a lot of depression, a lot of like lack of joy in anything, um, really struggling to like just feel in touch with myself and it was it was really challenging and I just really didn't know who I was I didn't know what I wanted it's a simple thing of like do I want to go on a walk today was really difficult for me to decide I'm like I don't know what I want and I got anxious and stressed so like I just didn't have my own sense of self I wasn't grounded and so I ended my marriage um about a year ago um and it was um a really good thing for me because I needed to really figure out myself. And so that is why I'm doing solo polyamory. Um, even though I don't know if this is going to be something I could do long-term because I'll probably get into it later, but with my anxious attachment, it is really challenging for me sometimes. Um, but I, um, 
I'm doing it right now to build a sense of independence, to get to know myself again without the potential enmeshment and entanglement of a nested relationship. Because in people who are too close to me, I do have a hard time with that. I'm going to, I'm not very good at saying the word, but like differentiation. I'm not good at separating myself from the people around me necessarily. And so having that distance is something that I need, even though it's painful, painful, probably in a good way. Um, so that's why I'm solo polyamorous. And I think it's actually a really wonderful way to do it because I still get to explore relationships. I still get to start to build solid connections while also healing. And I actually have a theory that I think that doing it this way after a long-term relationship can be really healthy because I'm able to navigate relationships on a, on a smaller level, like more contained level. Mm-hmm. And it's really been pushing me to really question a lot of, or to really work through a lot of my anxious attachment, um, tendencies and it's been really really lovely and i think like the coolest thing about this and this is small for most people but like the really coolest thing about this journey for me has been i know what color of drapes i want to have in my house at some point like i the little things of like knowing what i want about something knowing what feels good um has been really beautiful like so for me solo poly is more about personal development and growth and it's a a place in life that i'm at right now because i i'm intentionally choosing it and I may at some point nest again at some, but I also, I don't know, I may really love this, and because there are pieces of it that I'm really enjoying, um, so we'll just have to see what, what the future holds, but that's kind of why I'm solely polyamorous, and that's kind of my journey towards it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really glad we had both of you on at the same time, because there's such different stories and such different experiences, like, you know, I, you're... Razi is like going through a lot of stuff and kind of like finding it as a identity or like a um, a place that works for you after trying a lot of different things. And Tyson, you're saying like you you did a lot of uh, other things and now you're like, oh, I need to try this yeah. um, to like kind of like as a as a test or like as a journey to like kind of find yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What color are the drapes? Um, so I, I like. I really. I love. I think. <laughs> And, Earthy and does t- the carpet match them? Okay, so I, I think probably like I really like earthy tones with like some bright greens. Definitely like having like a more of a nature look and things like that. So I really like darker grays, even though like, a lot of people think that's boring. I don't really care. I like it. And then with some some sharp greens, probably what I like. So I don't know. I think the dra- depending on the drapes, I think green probably would be best, but. Yeah, it depends on the rest of everything else in the house. So. It sounds lovely. It sounds very a, Pacific ex- Northwest. Yes. Oh, yeah. it's, it's definitely more Pacific Northwest. Love it. Love it. Speaking of intention, brought it a lot of intention to that answer. It, also, I just think it's funny that you mentioned that this gray thing because I was just writing in yeah. Love at the End of the World really about I went through a period where every man I dated, their entire all their sheets were gray. I was like, why do men always have gray sheets? I don't know. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, just a uh, back question about your journey. You and before you your marriage ended, you um, were non-monogamous for a while, right? Yeah. So this is not your first... Being solo poly is not your first foray into non-monogamy. No, okay. definitely not. No, it wasn't a whole long time. It was about six months okay. of yeah. it. Um, but it was... Uh, yeah, I definitely was nested and doing non-monogamy for a while. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting is right. Uh, okay, so 
I want to I want to dive into Tyson's story too. Okay. Oh, okay. Dive in. I feel like this is like uh, everybody. I guess the audience knows a whole bunch of things about that bus, and you guys do too. I feel like it's just unfair that we're asking them all these vulnerable questions. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I don't mind. They, but they get to ask us questions in Wait, the second. Okay, yeah, don't cool, worry. Cool. Well, we get put on the hot yeah. seat too. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just this idea of solo poly as a sort of tool of exploring codependency and enmeshment and boundaries is really fascinating to me and interesting. And it, it makes me wonder about this question of solo poly as a permanent identity or a transient identity and whether or not that matters. So I just wondered if the two of you wanted to weigh in on that. On whether or not it matters and like, um, yeah, on whether it's a lifestyle, like it's, yeah, it's an identity, a lifestyle, a moment, a commitment. I still, I'm kind of on the fence on whether I, I, I view polyamory in general as an identity or not. I think that's mm-hmm. something that's a big conversation. I think, um, I don't know, but I, I think for me, like I don't, I don't think it matters. I mean, I think it's who we are in the moment. I think we're all very fluid, and even the most solo poly person may not always be solo poly. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the solo poly community would feel very strongly that it is an identity mm. and that it is not a flexible thing, but I think that identities mm. are, well, many of them are inherently squishy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, I can say what I'll want, but it might change in 10 years, and you just never know. And that idea of change also as being kind of central to what is compelling about non-monogamy is that it's a framework where you are allowed to change and grow. Yeah. in accordance with like where you are in your life and where other people are too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Alex, what? It- yeah, I want to ask the this question about oh, um yeah. uh so you have both dated people who are both uh other solo poly people and people who are in couples. <laughs> um I'm curious about like the differences between the experiences of dating solo poly people. So many differences. <laughs> yeah, let's hear right, it. Lay it on us. Already. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think. I think probably. Th- the way I would say it is like there's this, there's an openness in terms of like. So I don't I don't necessarily believe in the escalator, but I do believe in escalating. I do think it's important. I think it's okay to escalate in an intentional way with someone. But I think when you're dating someone who's already nested, like there's a lot of limitations on where. It's almost like it's like there's like this. It's like a not necessarily a boundary on the relationship, but like there's this wall where like oh you can't go this way, so you have to go someplace else. So like in terms of certain certain kinds of intimacy, like sleeping with together or like sleeping in. If I wanted to sleep in my couple partner's bed with them, that's something that's not going to happen, right? Potentially. So it's that more, might be a boundary that they that's, that's only a boundary that they have, and so like and that's fine. Um, but it just it it, it really um, I think does kind of not necessarily limit, but it does put some boundaries on like how close I can be with that person or wh- how certain in- certain intimate acts and locations limits where, where those things can happen I guess if that makes sense mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person that like what I like about what I liked about my monogamy was sleeping together was waking up together was brushing our teeth together like a lot of those things were things I really loved I, 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 I loved that and those are things I can't necessarily always have with someone who's nested right and so I think that's what I would say and I think I can sleep over at their house relatively quickly, and it's not a huge deal. And like, there's just a lot more, not well, a lot more to navigate. I feel like. Yeah, you're not navigating like the needs of a third party yeah. necessarily, um, and 
I love this face. <laughs> what is coming? I can't wait. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's really nice not to feel like your partner has to get home to someone, mm-hmm. right? Or that someone's going to be disappointed if they're late or that you might accidentally like cross a, a line without meaning to. Um, it's also really nice to not like say you're dating someone who is polyamorous, but their partner is not dating other people. Mm. It's, it can be... Um, there's like this voice, this negative monogamous voice to me that's like, oh, you're you're the other woman. Mm. Like, you know, and it's just really nice if you can yeah. kind of be on equal footing. Um, I've dated people who didn't, who like their spouse wasn't comfortable meeting with me for a long mm. time, uh, which doesn't feel great. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of little things. And like Tyson said, the freedom of just being able to decide where you go with a relationship with just that one person and not having to take another person into account is really refreshing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I feel like out there, most most like non-monogamous people are married or in very committed relationships. And so it can kind of feel like we're lacking options here. Um, and ended up, and we end up working with a lot of people who are mm-hmm. married, and it it can be difficult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it sounds difficult. Yeah. yeah, I think the only thing I want to add is the equality piece, because like when I date someone who's nested, especially if they've been nested for a long time, maybe they co-parent together, they own a home together, they you know share finances, and they have a lot of that like typical monogamy relationship where I think our culture tends to look at that as like this. The way I examine it is like it's this big beautiful castle with these nice flags and beautiful windows and like. This, this big thing that is propped up in our society, like, oh, this is a relationship, right? And I'm on the other end of that, not having not being able to have a lot of those elements. And it can be kind of challenging to not compare mm. to that. So I think comparison is, a, is can be an issue for me sometimes, where it's like, dating someone who's solo, it's like, we are on the same level. We're building something unique together. There's not like this massive propped up relationship, at least by society's terms, that I'm having to like navigate with, with them. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's just a feeling of kind of inequity baked into the dynamic. Yeah, and, and I have to be careful because, uh, again, my anxious attachment, a lot, a lot of these things are things I have to process because it's like, again, married for 10 years, used monogamy as a tool to make me feel more secure. So when I see someone have all of those elements in a relationship with someone else and I don't, that can kind of the alarm goes off in my brain of, hey, something's wrong. This isn't okay. Like, they're not, you're not safe. And that's like, again, that monogamy, the monogamous paradigm that I'm trying to still shift from. So this is all from my experience. I see. Yeah. And so you're saying like, yes, there's some inequity here and there are cultural elements to that. And also you're like, there are personal things here about, can I feel safe and not centered Absolutely. In this way. And that that's a, an existential question. Yeah. Almost. I think, yeah, both are true. Mm-hmm. I think there's an inequality thing. There's a power, di- a pretty large power dynamic. And then also I have my own sense of insecure attachment stuff that I work through. That makes me curious about hierarchy and solo poly. Um, and I was wondering if like you all could just weigh in on that for a second. Like folks who are solo poly practicing hierarchical non-monogamy versus not practicing hierarchical non-monogamy and and how does that factor in as you think about power and equity yeah my favorite way to break that down as as someone who was in a five-year relationship and was pretty enmeshed in some ways and not in others is like de facto versus de jure hierarchy so like 
hierarchy that just happens as a matter of course like oh you've been with this person for x amount of years you have this reputation together and you have a rapport rather and so you have certain things that like a brand new relationship with a third person is not going to have so just i love this language it's super helpful i feel like this is a concept that i've been trying to find language for de facto and du jour hierarchy Mm -hmm. de facto being the kind of centering of or you know, context of a long-term relationship, which is going to have hierarchy inside of it. It's just what is. It is what is. Um, And a new relationship isn't going to come in and be able to equally match that because it has to do with depth and time. Yeah. And du jour hierarchy is, would you help me with that one? It's rules. It's du jour being the law, like of the law. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the exact Latin translation (laughs) or whatever, but yeah. I don't know. I dated a lawyer for a long time. That's funny. I was thinking of like soup du jour. So it was like the the rule of the day. (laughs) The hierarchy of the day. Maybe I'm wrong. It's like what's enforced by... Yeah. 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 By by the partner saying like, you can't do this thing. Mm -hmm. Do you find that folks who are in couples who you date have a sense of that distinction of um, de jure versus de facto or an analysis of hierarchy not always not until i tell them what it is <laughs> <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> yeah i mean part of like being in this dating scene right now it's a lot of married people opening up their relationships Absolutely. Yeah. and yeah. a lot of those people do not have sort of the background and they haven't done their readings um and i don't want to say you can't be non-monogamous without doing the readings but like i i mean i don't think you should be in any sort of relationship without being a nerd about it somehow right mm-hmm. like and there is stuff like that where they're like, oh, I didn't even think about having boundaries with my partner, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I would say that the majority of clients, couples and relationship clients that I work with now fit that description. Mm-hmm. They are people who have been monogamous and are opening up. I mean, there is just no doubt that that is a trend right now. Um, and I think it's especially a trend in Seattle and sort of surrounding area. Uh, and there is just... We're on a podcast right now that was called Mistakes Were Made, in part because I think there are some mistakes that people do just make. Yeah. And that you you learn from doing, and as you dismantle assumptions about monogamy, you kind of, there is a little bit of messiness that comes with that. Um, And for a couple that's been monogamous for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, they're opening up Mm -hmm. and you can totally see how they'd be like, well, this is crazy. Of course we're going to have rules. Mm -hmm. And you can also see how folks who have been doing it for a while are like, those rules are going to hurt a lot of people, including you. Yeah. Yeah, And I think the thing is that people want to be the instinct for a lot of people opening their relationships or marriages is that they want to be free. And that's like what the trend is, is like a sense that people want to be freed of the rules that are constraining them. Hmm. Uh, but they also want to be safe mm. and like so they're trying to hang on to mm. the safety and like then they're interacting with people who have already foregone that safety yeah. mm-hmm. for whatever and like the journeys that you all described were like journeys of you know either not having that safety in the first place or kind of like letting it go or losing it or whatever and yeah. so it's like I could see how coming from that position it's frustrating to like have to walk people through or drag people through or suffer through people holding on to that safety and being like, no, but my relationship has these rules. 
Yeah. And those rules are them clutching on to the us clutching on to that yeah. safety. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I think one thing I want to make a point to say is that like I think it's okay to normalize that mistakes happen. Mistakes are okay. We all make mistakes. But like messing up when you're dealing with like attachment and we're dealing with someone that you like someone who loves you. Like I think like it's just it's just it's 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 I don't know. It, it can be really hurtful and painful. I've known I've known people in my life specifically who have been incredibly, incredibly hurt based upon couples who are not ready and they're not exploring it. And so, like, mm-hmm. I, I I wish that couples would wait a bit before really opening up. And because I, I I do think that like who who who's being hurt when mistakes are being made? Mm-hmm. I think that's a question I have. Um, and I think I'm sure that you know if you're a couple dating people who are also opening up, you deal with the same thing. It's not just this isn't just probably a solo poly experience. It's just maybe an experienced poly person dating somebody who's less experienced. Like who's getting met, who's getting hurt by the messing up, and I think that deserves some recognition and some yeah you know. yeah accountability is what yep. I hear. And yeah. I think like we cannot avoid mistakes. Yep. Right. That we can't, and yeah. especially around intimacy and liberation. Mm-hmm safety and exploration and dismantling systems of oppression, yep. right? That are deeply great. We are going to fuck up. Mm-hmm. Are you accountable when you do? I think that is the big difference for me yeah. is like, do you repair? Do you acknowledge where you're accountable? Do you think about the power differentials? That is all I feel like we can reasonably ask from people. Um, and it's funny that this would come up because I had like a minor, we call it a conflict maybe a disagreement with a fellow therapist uh, who was asking me about my suggestion for folks who are opening up that at a certain point, you do just have to try it. There will be, believe it or not, despite what it feels like out there, there are people who will be contemplating this and for years Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. incredibly anxious as they do it. And there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of like, exploring of scenarios and hypotheticals and then like big blowouts around Mm -hmm. what might happen in those hypotheticals. And I do feel like you got to dip your toe in at some point. You've Mm got to try on what this feels like um, and go from there in part because I feel like sometimes in the over prep is where you get a lot of these rules about possible hypotheticals. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of interesting to consider what is this balance between learning through doing mistakes and accountability and mm-hmm. who gets hurt. I just wonder about like, how do you, inf- like where, how does accountability work in relationships? Because there's that like all's fair and love. And I don't even want to finish this because the second half of that is That's a horrible thing. I hate uh, it. It's not all fair anymore. Um, <laughs> no. But, uh, like when you're in relationships, like how do they end? Like in a small community, Perhaps there is accountability in relationships, but like when somebody does you wrong in a romantic relationship, you know, yeah. you break up. And I think that one of the things that I appreciate about non-monogamy in general is that there's a vision that you're not aggrieved with every person that yeah. you a relationship <laughs> ends with and you don't just hate every person yeah. that yeah. you break up with. But um when I first asked that question a minute ago that started this conversation, like, what are the differences? I thought that you were going to say, like, the answer wasn't. I thought there was going to be some good things and some bad things about dating solo people. And it was basically just a supply and demand question. And it sounds like you would rather be dating solo poly people. 
in general. Sometimes. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I mean. When there's not enough of them around. Yeah, I mean. Um, I yeah. I imagine if they were, I imagine if they were more solo poly people, we'd probably be like, you know what, we have some, we already have some really, like, long-term, like, relationships that are, that have a lot more, like, time, we have more time to get a lot of freedom, so I think it'd be more open to dating people who are, who are coupled, because maybe they're not as available, and maybe you're not as available now, because you have two, you have other relationships, so I think, it is supply and demand, I There's think. an economy there, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, but I do want to, I do want to comment on the accountability thing a little bit. Yeah. Because um, I, I think that, I don't think it's... Poly, uh, an experienced polyamorous person to hold their partner accountable necessarily. What I think I would like to see more of is accountability within polyamorous media and polyamorous like instructing and polyamorous like podcasts and things like that. Kind of what you guys are doing today. Like I think because what I see, what I see more or less is all. And this is just my perspective. I could completely be wrong about this, but so many of the books, so much of the podcasts are all about how do you open up your relationship and make sure you all you, that how do you protect your relationship as you open up? How do you mm. make sure you still love your partner as you open up? How do you, you know, continue to love each other well and while opening up? And there's not as much a conversation around how do you not fuck up other people's lives mm. while opening up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. responsibility do you have? I think that taking accountability for the the power. There's not enough conversation on power imbalances mm-hmm. and. That's like the power that the nested partner has over the other relationship sometimes I think needs to be more evident. And I think in our media, couples privilege is a, is a big thing in terms mm-hmm. of catering to couples who are opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, um, I've, um, I've had people, I've, had, I've been dating guys and their wife called them in the middle of the date and said, I need you to do X, Y, Z. And they left the date to go do that. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, wow, you have no sense of boundaries and no sense of how, like, the fact that we just sat down at my favorite restaurant to have a meal and then you left before the food even came right. is, like, harmful for me. And, you know, like, why are you saying yes to these requests, yeah. you know? And, like... What relationship agreements happened behind the scenes that I'm not aware of, you know? And it's it's, it's stuff like that where like I will I will ask for a little thing and um, the spouse will be used as an excuse to not triangulation. I need to show up for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I actually we listened to your podcast on triangulation, yeah. so that was fun. Um, <laughs> it's like oh yeah, very relatable. Mm-hmm. It is, and it shows up a lot in these dynamics yeah, where people uh, are not taking responsibility for their own behavior, or being accountable in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear these stories too, and I have actually experienced some of it in my own way, different power mm. differentials. Uh, and I'm just like, damn, that's fucking rude. Yeah, like, it's really rude. It's fucking rude. <laughs> in what world is there any excuse for treating someone like that, and then just being like, sorry? My, my wife needed it, so that's what I did. You know, there's, like, something else happening there yeah. that is very mm-hmm. alarming to me and I think speaks to this, like, just no, not enough self-awareness to yeah. be doing this. Yeah. It's upsetting to me because I like to think of myself as someone with good judgment who dates people with good judgment, but then stuff like that happens and it's like, oh, okay, I'm fallible too. Like, <laughs> I made a misjudgment here by dating you. <laughs> yeah, and what leverage do you really have? None. No. Like the the one person who left the restaurant, that was the second time that something like that had happened and I called it off after that. Yeah, and I was like, course, I yeah. don't like you're not putting anything into this relationship. I'm not going to put myself out there and like potentially embarrass myself and be vulnerable with you in order to work through this with you. Like this yeah. is just not going to work out, you mm-hmm. know? Like and I would like to have a relationship where we can work through things together. Yeah. And I think that that informs the vibes out there in the world 
in the dating world as well that even I think like coupled people suffer from that too Mm -hmm. because like there's just kind of like bad faith like I think you having that experience or like solo poly or anybody having that experience means that like you're just like those vibes are out there and then like there's a a distrust Mm -hmm. right like amongst everybody in the sort Mm -hmm. of like dating pool before you get to know people that you know, I, I've definitely felt that, like, going into first dates and second dates, just people being like, is this going to just be terrible? Because <laughs> yeah. people have yeah, had terrible experiences like that. Are yeah. you meeting people online mostly? Or? Yeah. 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 I mean, thankfully not currently. <laughs> like, because it's yeah. not very fun. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm off of the apps now, yeah. too. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, and I think this this accountability piece is really interesting. And how you build awareness. So there's like some harm reduction, you mm-hmm. know, like mistakes were made or people are going to fuck up. That also is something that exists on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's harm reduction to be done there. And something that I feel like comes up is, do you make a point of opening up and only dating folks that are in similar situations. So I'll be mm. frank. Yeah. Uh, this is advice that people sometimes seek from me personally in community and also as a therapist mm. where they're like, should I only like date married people, people with kids, people within a few years of my age so that that power differential is not as great. And I think it's an interesting question that I'm not always sure how to answer. And I'm, I'm wondering how you all might respond. I think if that's what you're looking for, like, I think, like, if you're really busy, um, then maybe you should be upfront about that and only date other people who are really busy, um, like other parents, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, a, it's, it's again, a squishy thing. Yeah. I mean, I think just being open and honest and upfront about it, I think even, like, with the idea of, like, couples just trying it, just jumping in, like, as long as they're open and honest with the people that they're dating that, like this is what I have to give. Like, this is what is going on. There's a chance that this may not work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is probably the one thing that's important because then that gives people like us the ability to be like, okay, yeah, I don't want to get involved with this or I'm, I, okay, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also knowing what you do have to give is important. Too, right. You know? Which requires self-awareness. Yeah. 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 Let's take a break. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> back everybody uh that was a really nice interlude where we talked about aquariums <laughs> plugged our new podcast the age of aquarium coming nice. soon uh so we realized that in this wonderful conversation that we've had so far we have been talking a lot about heartbreak disappointment and the things that feel like don't work and it made me want to ask the two of you what does work when it comes to building relationships that feel satisfying and reciprocal and, and deepening across the divide of being solo poly and being coupled? Silence. Accountability. <laughs> Accountability. Accountability, yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, like, um, I'm currently dating someone who's doing a great job at it, even though he's, he's married, and... Um, he has just been like thinking about like how he can dismantle hierarchy and 
sort of practical ways and like ways to sort of make me feel important too. Um, and I think being clear about like what I need as well has just, and just having that dialogue there without like defensiveness um, and with an openness to sort of opportunity and change has been really nice. Um, so like things like he and his wife went on a really nice vacation last year and then, you know, I've known him for a long time. And so I, Oh, can we can we go on a vacation sometime? <laughs> you know, um, and stuff like that because I'm kind of used to being the person who gets left behind on vacations, and so um, just like having someone who's open to stuff like that is really nice. Um, and then in my my long term relationship, um, the one who is um, I'm parenting with now, um, we kind of came up with creative ways of sort of. Um, helping things feel a little nicer um, because, you know, they moved in together without me and that was sort of a sore spot for a while but um, we talked about it together and like they decided that they would have an open door policy where I could come out, come over literally any time. Mm. And I, I didn't really take them up on it. <laughs> so I was like, I have my own house and I don't want to just barge in but now that we have a baby together, like, yeah, I'll just walk over anytime and um that's really nice. We actually, um, so parenting together, um, I don't know, there's just, there's just so many opportunities. And when you're kind of stuck mm. in this, like it's a married couple and then there's a third person and you're stuck in that paradigm. It's so limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you can actually like get creative and decide like, just just throw that all away. Like what do we actually want our lives to look like? Um, and that's how we ended up co-parenting together. And, um, I'm not a legal parent of, um, our older child, um, because she already has, um, to legal parents, but I am a legal parent of our baby. Um, and that's just a way that we figured out to, um, sort of balance the power there. Um, we also, the most poly thing ever, we made a corporation, um, and we haven't used it yet, but it's just a way that we could all like put in money and like have like a sort of a three adult thing where we're all sort of contributing and then we can take funds out of it for the children and stuff like that. Um, so that's been cool. I love all of that. Yeah. We also have a corporation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought the solution to all of this would be more corporations? More corporations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of creativity, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And collaboration. Creativity and collaboration. Um, and, and just being in touch with what it, you want, right. both you individually and as a group. Yeah. And sort of letting go of the old old paradigms as much as you can um and building community together Mm. even with um with like the your partner's spouse you know Mm. and being open to that Mm -hmm. i feel like has a lot of opportunity there Mm. i really appreciate that you said that i feel like that is um at least for me personally has been the point of entry into being more collaborative and open in the way we are polyamorous, I love meeting your partners, and you've always been really open to meeting my partners. I love meeting my partner's partners. Mm-hmm. It's an, It feels like an antidote to some of this stuff, mm-hmm. a, yes. a really accessible antidote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's something that I recommend to people whenever I can. Yeah, do you have any advice for um, your... I mean, I guess for your metas, but yeah, for uh, people in couples... Um, getting used to or like kind of relating to their partner's partners. Um, 
or like how they should approach that if it's kind of their first time yeah something that my more long-term partner did um when like i was when we were all ready for when everyone was ready to meet each other um it wasn't just me but it was you know um everyone wanted to meet um is he would like go and get coffee with them and just have like a coffee date with them one-on-one and then the initial like startup conversation would be like how cool is this person that we share and then they would sort of naturally bond over that and then they could sort of branch out from there i'm not sure i know tyson you had an experience with this very recently oh yeah so. i met my meta like thursday <laughs> how'd it go if you want to great it was great it was um it's the way i describe it to people it's like imagining meeting someone who like shares like the same passion for a similar hobby that's maybe a unique hobby like you get really excited it's like oh yeah I love this person too. You love this person. What do you love about them? Oh, I love that person. I love that too. Like, it's like you get, it, there's just a bond I think that comes with it. That's really nice. And I, and I wish that more people would explore that. It is scary. It's intimidating, but like, I don't know, for me, once you talk with them, like, it's just really, really lovely and, and really nice. So I, I do think that, I do think that I agree that like having that connection is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a meta who wanted to, who, like, asked me to, like, write a song about the person, like, for her birthday that we were both dating. And, like, that's, like, a thing that Mm. I do. Like, I'm a musician. And he was not. And it was, like, at the time, I was, like, had to really, like, push myself to, like, want to do it. But, like, in retrospect, it was, Mm. like, really sweet that he, like, came up with that idea and, like, kind of, like, came to me in the, like, realm that, like, I was, like you know the thing that i did and was like wanted to do that that's really cool yeah that's really really cool yeah, yeah. i like yeah. that something um my ex really loved scavenger hunts and so my meta and i would plan scavenger hunts together for him mm. Mm, that's and cool. that was a really good bonding activity and also something that he really loved mm. <laughs> yeah what else would you say works for deepening relationships and intimacy tyson when yeah. you're dating someone who's in a couple. I think, um, so I've caught a couple thoughts on this. Really two, we've talked a lot, a lot of them already, but the first one is like, I think there needs to be an awareness around the, the power that's in, the, the power imbalance. And I think that like the coupled, what, what I appreciate, because I've been in some really wonderful relationships with people who are coupled and I'm, one, I'm in one right now. Um, and um, I think the biggest thing is like, there's an awareness of that dynamic. And so I think like, as a couple, nested couple, making sure that like, you both have the opportunity to like spend time with the person who's not nested. Like maybe even like being willing to like, Hey, I'll, let me, I'll leave the house today, you know, or leave the house whenever you want to, if you want to have your partner over for, for dinner or something or have your partner over, like being able to like find ways to empower that relationship outside of the nested relationship, I think is a really important. And that, and I think it's, it's, it is as simple as like, but you want to go on a trip. That's fine. Like, yeah, go, go on a trip. Like I'll be okay with that. I think like trying to encourage the partner who's dating the person who's not nested. And for that not to be a combative, frightened yeah. kind of dynamic, but instead one where the meta wants this relationship to work and wants to Exactly, work yeah, yeah, the work. meta's like, yeah, like, hey, you want to have, let me know when you want to have this person over for dinner, and I will I will go find some, do something with my friends, and, like, just let mm-hmm. me know when you want them to come over. Um, that kind of empowerment I think is important, but I think, th- for me... The second thing of like building closeness, and this is more, this is really on the, the the relationship itself, not necessarily having to do with the nested couple, but like building and integrating life, I guess. And I think it's like, and, and that can be as simple as like cooking together or staying over the night and then having coffee in the morning and going shopping together. Like sometimes with when we're not living with someone, we don't get that 
unintentional time, that passive time of just doing life together. Mm -hmm. So I think that like those, I went grocery shopping with um, my partner and it was so much fun. I had just a blast and it was lovely. And like, that's something that like we like to do together because it's, it's a way to, to build like our own thing outside of that. And I think integrating friendships is important too. So like having your own social circle with that one partner mm-hmm. um, that's outside of the social circle that they have with their nested partner. Mm-hmm. So I think really just building an intent, building a life with someone um, and, and, and finding ways to do that. Like I think I've heard of even, I think staycations together, like, Hey, come over for the weekend. And like, we'll just live together for the weekend mm-hmm. and we'll do the things that the couples do when they're living together. Like, cause I do think there's a bonding and an intimacy that goes with that shared journey that shared adventure. So I think those, those things are really cool, but like just going on an adventure together, whatever that might be. Would you and your partner like to do my grocery shopping together? Because uh, probably. I no. just want to offer that up. If you feel like I it mean, would help. I'm not good at grocery shopping. I hate grocery shopping. I'm all I over the place. It's my least favorite. Yeah. So probably not. Um, Fine. Well, it was worth a try. I think the idea is they want to eat the food together. As oh, well. I see. That is, that is it. That is it. <laughs> just like have a task rabbit account yeah. together that they. Exactly. <laughs> Alex, you brainstormed a couple of other things that you had. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, worked for you and people yeah. you were dating. Well, because we were talking about like the way there's like like are these symbols of closeness that couples sometimes have like spending holidays together or, or like vacations and then um sometimes those feel like inaccessible in whatever secondary relationships quote unquote um so <laughs> we were talking about like things that we have done with other partners like uh you know doing going on psychedelic journeys together yeah. <laughs> or, um or hosting dinner parties or yeah. like doing like creative projects exploring together exploring kink mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. i think Making up your own holidays that you can spend with a specific person, you know, because yeah. um, it is holiday season is, is hard. But I, I like that exploring kink. I think finding ways to explore something together, you know, um, mm-hmm. my I'm my partner is really big into painting, um, really big into painting. And it's something I haven't done a whole lot of, but it's something I started to enjoy doing with her. And it's like, this is actually a lot of fun. So it's like I am excited about doing that more with her. So things like that. I, I mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you said, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about how sometimes those things that you're you can feel like kind of like envious of in a in a long term or like a coupled relationship uh, are also like you know there's a lot of weight to them or like obligation to them as well. Yeah. Like and and sometimes you can like explore something new that feels kind of like free and exploratory um, with a with a different partner. It's like. It can sometimes be nice that you get to go and do something completely different. So not Sunday dinner with the in-laws. Yeah, is what you're exactly. Saying. You're saying you Instead. don't want to do that more with other people. Yeah. <laughs> right. yes. no, All of my other partners yeah. are lucky that they have not yeah. met my parents, perhaps. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, I've, I've dated a lot of people, and I really enjoyed like, just seeing what each relationship can sort of turn into. And like, what, what do you like doing together? Do you go backpacking together? Are you trained climb a mountain together are you going on walks in the arboretum are you walking your dogs you know like what are are you reading books and talking about that or watching movies like and each relationship is going to have its own special flavor and i think that's really like leading into that it's really lovely yeah Yeah. i want to add to what you said about like the in-law thing there is a level of like 
we don't have to. This is this is a good thing about solo poly is like we don't have to necessarily deal with the stressful logistics of dishes or finances or raising kids together. Like there is, even though in that alone I have some level of jealousy because I do think those things will over time create intimacy and trust um, and are, are powerful for uh, growing a relationship. But it is nice not to worry about that. I had a partner complain about the dishes they had. They had a fight about dishes, and I'm like, oh. Nice. I don't have to worry about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. My dish, my sink is exactly as dirty as I left it. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. All right. That, that seems like a good segue into our lightning round. So, Jessica, you're the host. I'm the host. Okay, great. And you're going to ask us questions. Yes, the host can't win the game show. That's Sorry, through okay. corruption. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Okay, perfect. Yeah, skim yeah. some off the top. Age of Aquarium, Han Solo's. And there's not incredible. actually scoring. <laughs> so there's no judge. We'll do a little Instagram poll when we post it. See who won. Um, okay, well, this first question is for the Age of Aquarium. Um, and. What we want to know is, what sounds great about being solo poly? Okay, I'll go first. I think the dishes thing, the idea that your house would look the same as the way you left it sounds fucking amazing, and that you didn't have to answer to anybody about how you were spending your time, and you could spend a bunch of time by yourself doing whatever the hell you wanted and not have to clear it with anybody, and you wouldn't have to like answer for it to anyone. You just stole her answer and my answer, which was going to be doing doing exactly what you want all the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Han Solo's response. Uh, yeah, I think that's very, very... Um, it's very true. It's, it's very nice. Don't have to worry about that. And I think I can present my home in a way I want to so I can clean up really nicely for people so they think it's beautiful all the time. But then I can, the rest of the time when no one's there, I can just keep it really messy. So it's like... See, I can create a false image for myself, which is nice. Are we answering what sounds great about being solo poly, or what sounds now? Are we answering what sounds great about being couple? First, you're just responding. You're responding to, our, to them. Yeah. Yeah. Response yeah. Mm-hmm. was our response. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you can still stay on your. Like, we just have to share yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> Wait, I have a follow-up question for Tyson. Did you actually get these drapes that are exactly the? Not yet. That you no, want. I'm going to. I'm okay. going to. But I've been thinking about you more. You have one. your own place. Yeah. When I have, my, I, I live with four other people right now, uh, so okay. I don't have it just yet. But I will soon. It's exciting. Yes. We'll bring you back on the show once that happens. Sounds good. We'll do a whole show about the drapes. <laughs> Although I'm feeling, you know, questioning the gray thing now after what you guys said. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't want to be like every other guy out there. <laughs> you got to go peacock like mine. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Peacock. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll, um, okay, well, next question is for the Han Solos, um, which is what sounds great about being coupled. Uh, I think um, probably, like, I, I'm a sucker for, like, the simple things, like brushing teeth together, you know, cuddling at night together, having someone to sleep with every single night, I think it sounds really nice. Um, and the passive time. I also think, like, the, the shared adventure. And the investment that goes with that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think domestic bliss and having having your person. 
Are we supposed to respond to how that sounds yeah. to us? Yeah, that is so interesting. Um, it's really beautiful to hear it reflected like that. And I wouldn't say that like domestic bliss is what it feels like <laughs> the majority Ouch. of the time. It's, you have moments of that, mm-hmm. and that's really like wonderful. Um, but, but you literally get mad at me if I brush my teeth without you. Okay, well, that makes me sound <laughs> insane. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Actually, <laughs> what's going on here? You, like, treat it as a betrayal. I thought that was a running joke. Yeah, it is a joke. But still, it is interesting that this comes up. This comes um, up, yeah. Yeah, so accurate. Nailed it. Right. <laughs> Ten points. <laughs> okay, well, so another question for you to what is the most annoying thing about non-monogamous couple of people like a lack of boundaries and arbitrary rules yeah. I think this is going to sound really terrible and like I fully recognize that this is like probably a me problem more than anything but they are so whiny about spending one night away from their partner oh my gosh it's one night <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Oh, wow. Oh, he said it. Shit. Yeah. Uh. Okay, first of all, heavy agree over here with Rosie. I think, like, the boundaries and arbitrary rules, you're right, we're the worst with that stuff. Um, and it's just so self-referential. Totally. Yeah, I don't think that we have arbitrary rules anymore. Mm-mm. But we have had them at times. And people, like couple, couples, do. Honest, yes. couple people, people definitely yeah. do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what does the lack of boundaries part mean? Like, like too many boundaries, right? You can have too mm. many boundaries. Um, I think a boundary is something you set for yourself, right? And so if you don't have a, if you don't have a boundary like with your partner about like yeah. calling me on dates for things that are not emergencies, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Lack of individual boundaries yes. between the couple. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is like exactly what I want to talk. We're going to do a, a, a lecture or whatever at Evergreen Hearts. And that's like what I want the theme of it to be. Oh, is like having your own boundaries. Not like your boundaries as a couple, but like going into non-monogamy with yeah. your own boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And the focus of it is talking to couples who are opening up after having been monogamous for a long time. That's the audience for it. So. And since we're plugging things, <laughs> it's on May... Something-something. Oh, nice. something. May something-something. It sure is. May we're just... Thir- there are a lot of plugs in there. Evergreen Hearts is great. Yeah. Um, and I think that triangulation that you're talking about, that couples are often doing that and not taking responsibility for their own relationships outside mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. their coupledom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I 100% agree with that. Tyson. It's on May 9th. May 9th. You said this about people being whiny, people in couples being whiny about spending the night and how hard it is when we went to coffee. And I have just been fuming about it. I've like mentioned it like five times. It's it's true. I I admit it's fully problematic on my end, but it's just like, it's just a a little irritation with, because I do think that that sometimes prevents me from maybe spending as much time with. A partner I might, as I might want to. It's like they're trying to protect their other partner, and like, and it's it's fine. It's I get it. I was married for ten years, and I know it's problematic. But it's just you asked what irritates me, and or it was annoying, and that can be a little annoying sometimes when I hear it. So, 
Right. And I, yeah, and you're right. For you and your perspective, you're like, I am navigating spending nights on my own all the time. I don't understand why this is such a fucking thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I I understand why because I've done it. But yeah, it's it is hard for me to not spend as much. I there I usually want I usually want to spend more time with people that I get. And so it is a struggle for me. It's one of the bigger struggles I have is just time with a partner. And so yeah, it's a little bit like Weird to hear about someone who gets every single night with them, except for one night, and then I'm struggling to get the not having the other six or whatever. Um, you know what I'm realizing as we're talking what? is that this is not an issue between me and Alex. It's an issue between me and my partners in the sense that I am slow to feel comfortable spending the night with people. Mm. And this is just like, I mean, very slow. No. Like slower than I would like to even admit. Mm-hmm. To folks, it's just like super intimate to me and it feels really vulnerable. Mm. Um, and so I think sometimes I use our relationship as cover mm. for not doing it. When in fact, it's not like Alex would ever give me any kind of grief about Alex looks betrayed spending the night with someone, <laughs> right? Wow. Oh. Broke the podcast rule, don't read my face. <laughs> um, no, I probably wouldn't give you grief about spending the night. I was actually over here thinking about how what it is for me is that um, when you have kids, uh, so much stuff happens between 6 a.m. and mm. noon or whatever. It's like whole lives are lived. So usually it's like at some point, like we used to do more overnight stuff. And then I just like was like, it's like too, it's just like so much. It's mm-hmm. like there's such a big cost that I was like, yeah. it's not really like worth it. Yeah. Um, because it's so, it's just like, so, so much is happening during that time that like when we were doing it a lot, I was just like, this is like a lot. Like missing out on the kids stuff. Yeah. Like missing out on it. And also it's just like the burden that you're putting on your co-parent feels just like kind of a lot. So it's like this huge ask, whereas going out until midnight or whatever, isn't really that much of one, I think. And that was kind of like what was the transition for me where I was like, mm. I just don't feel like doing this yeah. anymore. I feel like dating people who are coupled versus dating people who are coupled and have kids is a different, mm-hmm. a lot of times yeah. a different conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Right. Because really I could triangulate our eight year old who would be like, what do you mean you're not going to be here for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a valid complaint. I think yeah. you get 10 it points is. for Great. Putting us on blast for that because yeah, it You're is right. a lot of complaining that that couple of people. But now do you get to put like, us on blast. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So we've introduced scoring now to the game. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, uh, Han Solo has ten points. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they got ten on the last one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but question for you, Age of Aquarium: What is the most annoying thing about solo poly people? Yeah, I'm gonna say when they act like they're just single people. And what I mean by that is, like, when they sort of, like, have the, all of the complaints about just, like, dating and stuff like that that aren't acknowledging that they're, uh, like, living, that they have a deliberate lifestyle of being solo poly. I don't really hear you guys doing this in this context, but sometimes people that I know who are solo poly are just, like... Uh, this all this stuff isn't really working out for me, and like I like sometimes it feels like it's being framed like um, I'm just not, like not finding love, and none of these dates are working out, and I don't like really like any of these people that I'm dating, and it kind of sounds like just like a monogamous single person's 
complaints. Mm. Okay. I think for me, it's that there is a lot of care that I'm showing the relationship that maybe is not totally visible. Like, Mm. for example, with being married and having kids, if I'm figuring out over here how to go away for a weekend, right, or do a psychedelic trip or go to a sex party or any of that stuff, there are a bunch of other relationships I have to navigate to get there. It's just the reality of my life. That navigating is part of my care for this relationship with the solo poly person. And I feel like that doesn't always isn't as acknowledged that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, I'm doing that because I care about you. Um, yeah. And then it feels like the results are never good enough. Mm. That is a that is a good thing. To, that, that's that's a good thing to hear. I think for me because I, I I struggle with that too. Of like, I have I, I have there's a there's a level of toxic fairness that still exists in my mind sometimes mm-hmm. where I feel like because I'm able to do something, other people should be willing and able to do that same thing. And so because I have a lot of flexibility and freedom, there's a fear that there's like this expectation sometimes like if they don't do the same for me, there's something wrong with me or maybe they're not putting as much care in. But like, you know, the people I date, um, they have a child together, you know, they're, you know, they're busy, very busy people. And so like, that's a helpful thing for me to hear and and to really recognize that like them seeing me, even though it's tough for them to see me as, as often as I might want them to, like them setting aside that time to do it is a huge effort on their part and shows a lot of love. So I appreciate that. Oh, I'm so glad you received it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that makes me feel so good. <laughs> if someone I was dating said that to me, I would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It's just playback or recording. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I feel like this is how you respond. This is how you should respond. <laughs> but it, I mean, it can, it can be hard to feel like you're not getting what you want from a partnership right and yeah it can be easy to miss that labor for sure i think like something i've had to think about is like okay is this something that they're doing wrong or is this something that maybe i need something different you know Mm -hmm. that person asking like if they feel like they're not getting something why is that they're not why are they feeling that way and are there other ways to get it like are we overly attached to like one path of getting it Um, yeah, exactly. An interesting question, too. Yeah. Um, to go back really quick to something earlier in terms of tips, one of the things my my partner and I do that is we do Marco Polos every day. So we send like little videos to each other every single day, and that's a really way to a really wonderful way to like connect on a daily basis and have the repetition. Um, don't know why I said that, but it just popped into my head. Yeah, I was thinking about earlier conversation, so mm-hmm. that's there. But it goes into what you were saying of like, is there another way you can get? what you're looking for, you know, and so if they're feeling like they're not, they're not getting that daily communication or daily, like, contact, like, having, finding, there's so many cool tools to do that with that are better than, like, texting, so. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, Marco Polo's. Yeah. Okay, we have one last set of questions here in our lightning round, um, starting with you, the Han Solos. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the best thing about being solo poly that coupled people might be missing out on? freedom and free time <laughs> yeah i think um i can i think like it's just i think yeah freedom also the ability to have people over whenever you might want to um the ability to like share parts of your life more in a more free way i think which is really nice um and obviously if you're if you're 
like kitchen table poly, like it's a little easier to do that. But like you know, I think being able to, I, I can have whoever I want over, and I can introduce them, and I can do whatever I I want with them, and not necessarily have to worry about making sure a partner at home is okay with that person coming over. How's that sound, guys? Yeah, yeah. Sounds, yeah. that sounds great. Sounds similar to what we said in the first question. Yeah. It sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about so sort of the counterpart to that? What is the best thing about being coupled that solo poly people might be missing out on? I'm gonna go ahead and just have a one-word answer, like you wanted me to. Naps. Mm. I think it is naps mm. with yeah. people. Mm. And because you can be, do it spontaneously. Spontaneous napping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to mm-hmm. say, like, infinite snuggling anytime you want. Gosh. All night. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, that is, that is tough. One. That is tough. One. Oh. I know. Like, it hurt both ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It means we hit on something, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it, it's just like, is this the intimacy that you get? When I think that I think sometimes in polyamory it's understated how how when you have a, a shared adventure with someone when you invest an energy into them and money into them and like you know um, there's a reason why like Frodo and Sam at the end of Lord of the Rings like loved each other so much because they'd been through so much shit together yeah and they were still there and they could rely on each other they could trust each other and like there's something really beautiful about yes that escalator and about that investment that I don't think polyamorous people or solo polyamorous people are always going to be able to get. I think they can get it, but like there's something really special about doing life together. Um, and uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that is sometimes lacking in solo polyamorous relationships or it's harder to build. What happened at the end of Lord of the Rings? Frodo and Sam went back to the Shire yeah. and they live at two separate houses right next to each other. Two little hobbit yeah, hobbles. They did. They did. Uh-huh. Are they solo? Is that what you're saying? I'm I saying yeah. I think you could actually interpret it that way. You could, yeah. you very, you very well could. But like, but it, 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 is, it is a very good analogy of like going on an adventure together, and I think just the importance of doing that when you're solo. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's married for ten. It was married for ten years, so I experienced all of a lot of that to the point where it was too much and a matchment. So now I'm like kind of comparing the two. I have like this. And then almost sometimes a yearning for elements of what was before, but then also like a pushing against some of the elements. So I'm very much in a conflicted state. I'd be very interested to know how I answer these questions of the year. We'll bring you back. Yeah. You both are coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, Jessica? How would you score us on this lightning round? Oh, God. I mean, I how know I said that I was all about winning game shows yeah. but I feel like everybody won in this yeah. because we learned yeah. about ourselves and each other thanks yeah. <laughs> wow. well, this, this has been a really lovely experience talking with you two and likewise it's yeah been, it's been really fun yeah thanks for coming thank you so much I feel like the true winners were in the audience <laughs> is there anything else we want to make sure that we plug we had some kind of like yeah. embedded plugs but like yeah. let's take a moment tell us what y'all are doing that people should get involved in yeah, um, people in Seattle can check out the Seattle Poly Under 40 meetup.com group. Uh, I've helped facilitate discussion there. Uh, we're not doing it currently because we're doing a smaller book club right now, but we will um, put events back up on there soon. And then we also have a Discord that is not age-limited anymore, um, and we will put the link in the show notes, if I understand. Yay, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so like you mentioned Evergreen Hearts earlier. Um mm-hmm. They're 
really big on up and coming in the community and they're doing, they have a prom coming up. Uh, we're also having a newcomer social next Sunday and then there's a connection speed dating event that's going to be happening in March. So there's a lot of things going there. And there's also like the Puget Sound Polyamory Meetup page. Um, is, there's a lot of events going on there. I, if you want to meet me, I can, I host some of those. Um, so yeah, those are all my things. Great. Thanks, you two. Thanks for coming on and spending Monday morning with us. I really appreciate it. It's been nice. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mistakes Were Made. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Instagram at MistakesCast. Thank you, Sarah and Jessica, for engineering and for hosting the Lightning Round game show. And uh, thank you, Rosie and Tyson, for joining us today. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks. (laughs) 